Hey, it's Nick Austin, and on this edition of the podcast, we're going to take a look at district representation here in the city of Detroit. As last week, the city provided a look at new single-member district options, one of which will be adopted in January. This is happening due to redistricting, as for the first time in a long time, we're going to change our districts. We didn't have a district model of voting until 2012, when we moved away from the at-large model, where everybody in the city of Detroit voted for all members of city council, to the district model. Now, where you vote for a member in your district in the seven districts of the city of Detroit with two running at large. How has that had an effect on representation in the city of Detroit? What are the strengths and weaknesses of at-large models versus district models? And now that we're thinking of redistricting, what are the things that we should be looking at in terms of communities of interest should be factoring in for these new districts? We're going to get into all of that right now. I've got great guests. In fact, later in the show, we spoke with political consultant and former Detroit City Council member Sheila Cockrell about what she makes of the new proposed districts and what the current districts have done for city residents over the past decade. But to start, we spoke with Yuri Radinsky, a lawyer at the Brennan Center's Democracy Program, to learn more about the strengths and weaknesses of at-large first district models and how we should think about districts in our current system. Yuri, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here because democracy voting, we're dealing with it right now in Detroit. We're going to have new member districts. But to get an idea, to set the table for what we're going to be looking at, we just kind of want to take an overview of the differences with what we had in the past decade. So before we get too deep into the talk of all of this, let us know why it matters so much. Why does it matter what kind of districts a city like the size of Detroit uses at all? The system that a particular level of government, so in this case, the city of Detroit uses uh, to elect representatives can often shape who the representatives are and which communities receive representation and what the relationship between voters and their representative looks like. So when all of these critical decisions get made about uh, policing, about parks, libraries, sidewalks, public safety, uh, that 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 are critical to communities all over the city. The the system that's used and who the representatives are, which flows from the system, uh, will will ultimately um, determine what uh, policy making looks like for the city of Detroit and 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 for the residents. Yeah, and I think we want to reference, of course, anything that you've seen in other places. We're thinking of Detroit specifically here, but we always have that phrase that different cities, states actually, laboratories of democracy and different fits for different places. But in terms of differences that we've seen or you've seen in at-large versus single-member districts, what stands out to you in the differences between those two models? Well, the... The, the key difference, as you mentioned, is that in a district-based system, uh, voters from a particular part of a city or local government get to elect their representative that represents the interests of those constituencies that, that, that live within uh, a, a particular geographic uh, subset of the entire uh, city. In an at-large system, the theory is is that because all representatives are elected by everyone who lives in the city, it means that all representatives govern in the interest, not of a particular um, corner or particular geographic 
and uh, and set of neighborhoods within the city, but on behalf of everyone. And but when you look at yeah. oh, I'm sorry. No, no, please continue. Well, I, 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 the, the the one thing that I would just add there is with at large systems, the the issue, of course, is is that a majority of voters. So 50% plus one can dictate the election outcomes in all races and, and in cities that are divided, whether it's along racial lines, partisan lines, economic lines, it means that a majority can override even a, a cohesive minority that has very, very distinct political interests. You know, that was one of the things I wanted to get into, because from what I've seen, there have been pers- persistent political findings that political scientists have made that single member districts can help increase representation for underrepresented racial and ethnic groups on city councils. Um, and is why is that true? Does it go to the fact that, I mean, because it would depend on how the districts are drawn in the first place. So why have you seen this to be true for uh, more representation for underrepresented uh, racial groups when we have these district models? Well, there, there, there are two uh, unfortunate legacies that a lot of communities across the country still grapple with. One is residential segregation. And and there are a lot of cities and, and counties across the country where uh, there are parts of a city that are predominantly uh, members of uh, one race. And then there are other uh, parts of the city that are either more integrated or um, uh, are are more white, say, and and of course that stems from uh, policies that redlined cities that that didn't allow um, black folks and other racial minorities to live um, anywhere they wanted, uh, and and so one is that um, when you look at the geography of this country. Uh, race still matters in terms of understanding where people are located. So that's one thing that's important to keep in mind if you're talking about splitting uh, a city up into districts and giving effective representation to racial minorities. The second thing is called racially polarized voting. And uh, that just means that voters of different races have different political needs and vote differently. And when you have racially polarized voting, which means that black voters, other voters of color are trying to advance candidates that come from their communities that represent their interests, and you have white voters or uh, a different coalition of voters that uh, have completely different political needs and behave differently in elections, um, those two things combined, residential segregation and racially polarized voting, can completely disenfranchise uh, racial minorities within a, a jurisdiction that uses at-large elections. Mm. We're speaking with Yuri Radinsky, who's senior counsel in the Brennan Center's Democracy Program, talking about at-large versus single-member districts. Looking back at the decision that was made here in Detroit back in 2012 to move from an at-large to district model, and we're going to get into the way that people should or way we the thing considerations we should have when considering how to draw our districts as the city council is looking at uh, new proposed districts with the census uh, coming up as we have to redraw our districts every day. 
decade. But before we take a look at how we should consider or what factors we should be looking at when drawing our districts, Yuri, I do want to just touch on one more thing with the at-large versus single district uh, uh, debate. One of the things here, cost effectiveness for running an election. If you have an at-large election, you just need the, theoretically, it would be cheaper to maybe run that versus having to consider districts every 10 years that has some cost to try to redraw these maps. I know that's a factor. But another thing that I would wonder if people consider is when you have district models, you have uh, communities of interest, they need representation. But one thing folks are also concerned about right now in democracy is working across the table, working together. Is there any concern with when you have districts of fracturing, of people getting kind of locked into uh, regimented thoughts and not necessarily working as well across the table? Or do we find that districts can help actually with people of disparate groups getting together and finding compromise or finding things that work in the interest of all for the city? I I don't think those sorts of decisions um, and those sorts of dynamics would be necessarily frustrated by a district-based system. And and, and again, if you look at some of the political science and the research, what what you find is in an at-large system, uh, the folks that get the best quality of representation, meaning their needs are best addressed by the government, are, are wealthy folks. And, and, and part of that stems from the fact that uh, it is much more expensive to run a campaign citywide. Uh, and so that limits uh, who can be a viable candidate. Uh, and, and I do think that in a district-based system, if the districts are drawn well, if they're not gerrymandered, if it's not, uh, if districts aren't designed to um, say, put a finger on the scale in terms of who can get elected and locks in election outcomes, I, I think what, what you'll find is, is that you have a really productive dialogue within a city council about what the needs are for the city as a whole and making sure that no one is left out of the calculus, that I, everyone's view is is actually uh, represented at the table. That's an excellent point there. I mean, when you consider the cost, the ability for folks who are of your community to have more of a shot of getting a chance at being an elected official, the lower cost for running through a district is something that I think is a great thing to think about. And it's something that ties into, as you mentioned, how we draw these districts. So here in Detroit, we are in the process of redistricting. We're going to have new maps in January. The proposed maps have already come out and people have a chance to give their reactions to them. We're going to get into that a little bit later with Sheila Cockrell. But while I have you here right now, what types of things should we be considering? Should people factor into how we draw these maps? Do you just pick an area code and arbitrarily do it? Do you link up neighborhoods already? Do you try to find what we would say communities of interest is a term we've heard a lot about uh, recently, how do people draw these maps and what are the factors that we consider when creating these districts? That's a great question. And, and I'm going to take just a half step back. Please. The best way to, to think about redistricting and why it exists is because the population changes. And the census in part captures that change, at least from the sheer number of people and the demographic change that's happened. But, but of course, our communities change in other ways as well. And so if you got to think of redistricting as adapting our representational systems to capture changes in the population. And so I think the public is a very, very important source of information, asking people to define their own communities. And yes, I am talking about communities of interest is 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 critical um, to making sure that that districts are drawn in ways that capture 
um, how people actually live and, and the issues that kind of join people together that are maybe outside of, say, political considerations. And so uh, uh, that type of system depends on openness, on transparency, those sorts of things. And I think at the local level, there are also so many other um, uh, geographic-based systems at play. You're talking about uh, schools, you're talking about um, police precincts that cover certain parts of the city, you're talking about transportation and transit, you're talking about uh, garbage pickup and other delivery of, of utilities. There's a geography to all of that. And so part of redistricting should be looking at these different geographies um, that are relevant to people's experience within uh, the city and within government um, and, and finding the best way to capture it so people uh, can have their needs addressed and their concerns um, that, that they have someone to, to, to bring concerns to. Uh, that's a great place to end it. I think Yuri giving us a lot to think about as we continue our conversation. Yuri Rudinsky, Senior Counsel in the Brennan Center's Democracy Program. Thank you for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. When we return, we're going to continue our discussion and our look at redistricting, this time at the proposed maps that have dropped and uh, what they might mean for representation in the city, as well as what we've seen with the move to district model, to the district model instead of the at-large model. We're going to do that with Sheila Cockrell when we return, as well as you, on Detroit Today. Discussing the city of Detroit's move from at-large member districts, or I should say just at-large model, at-large model. You live in Detroit, you vote for all city council, 2012 by way of referendum. We changed that model to the current district model, seven uh, single member districts, as well as two at-large. So it's a little bit of a hybrid, but what has that meant for representation now that we're a decade on from that change? And city council has uh, proposed some new district boundaries that they will uh, select in January of 2024. What do those look like as well? I I can't think of many people I'd rather have in studio to discuss this than Sheila Cockrell, who is a political consultant and former Detroit City Council member. Sheila, welcome to Detroit Today. It's very good to be here, Nick. Good to good to join you. Yeah, it's good to have you in here also. And I mean, you're someone who's seen this up close. You're very well versed in the history of our move to move from at large to district. So as I member, as I mentioned, it changed all uh, in 2009, specifically when the referendum occurred to have single member districts. Why did that vote occur in the first place? Well, I think I think the genesis of that was the uh, era of city of local corruption that had characterized the uh, you know the, the the era between 2001 and 2008 um, so I think that was a factor I think this whole I, when I was on city council I was elected at large uh, and the, the 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 issue of district representation became important to people because people I think felt somehow districts would deal with the corruption issue. Of course, we've seen that that, has, that that didn't deter corruption on city council since we've had at least two council members uh, leave council because they were convicted of, pol of political corruption. I think what's important to do is put this question of, of districts in context. Before 1918, the city council had 21 districts and 42 
they were at that point that point it was the common council uh, and they they were elected by wards there were 285,000 people in Detroit yeah. in that era there were, to me what part what is important about the district system is that if you have two people from each district in that era initially it was done on a partisan basis but let's just say it was done not on a nonpartisan basis two people gives anybody who's a resident or a business in a particular district an option uh, of going to a, you know, if there's an issue with one member, you have another member to go to. The, the options that we're looking at today, uh, not, not, at the moment, I don't believe any of them are front runners. Hmm. I think what's important, though, to understand when evaluating how councils are organized is to understand, at least in the city of Detroit, Council not only has a legislative function, it has an administrative function. The difference being, if you go to the state legislature, they appropriate funds. They do not award contracts. City council awards contracts. That is more of an administrative or executive function. So it's kind of a hybrid model. It's more, in my view, act functioning as more of a board of directors mm. uh, than a um, than a purely legislative body, which I think has an impact then on what responsibilities and roles should be. Um, the, I mean, I just, it's, it's, this is where voters are at at the moment, and therefore it's going to be important to see what the proposals look like going into uh, next year. Yeah, it will. There was a lot there that I kind of was interested in getting into. You mentioned uh, concerns of corruption being one of the reasons why uh, people decided to move from the model. But based on what you're saying, for example, I think of a city like uh, Chicago, which has, you know, all the all what they got, like 50 aldermen or something like that. Right. And so would the theory behind that then be that an increase in representation would make it harder for any individual? to have an outsized influence on handing out a contract, as you mentioned? Or what are the factors that we're looking at if that's the issue that we're trying to tamp down? Well, one of the things is one of the dynamics, and it's only a dynamic. It is not a rule or regulation or whatever. But um, district-based models, whether they're at state legislative levels or at local levels, tend to give whoever is the person who represents a district a greater level of influence on their colleagues on voting on items. Oh. If it's in your district, you know, if, is, is, a, is a council member in another part of the city going to vote for a, say, a development project if the, count, if the district uh, member doesn't support it? Oh. And if you only, you know, so, so that, that becomes a potential dynamic that has to be taken into account. The state legislatures, one, they're organized on a partisan basis. Two, they can, they don't have, they are not governed by the Open Meetings Act. So what basically happens is people make deals. You support this in my district, I'll support that in your district. That is not supposed to be, and I'm not suggesting that it is the way business is done here, but that's the framework in which districts operate, it seems to me, more so than at-large. I think at-large councils um, tend put, put a greater responsibility on all members to think of the greater good. For example, in the city of Detroit, I do not think there's any public policy choice that is district only in its orientation. Issues that are, are city issues affect all parts of the city. So I think, but again, at this point, arguing yeah, right. at district or at-large doesn't matter because sure. we're going to be electing 
in right. a district structure um, with new boundaries starting in 2025. Yeah, that is true. The reason I am kind of looking at that, again, is this question of how representation has changed so that with we understand by looking back what we like, what we didn't like, what we were going for, if it's worked, then we can try to figure out, okay, using this knowledge, this is what I think or this is what I think districts should look like sure. for us right now. Uh-huh. So, I mean, they've released the proposed maps. You've had a chance to take a look at them. I know, political junkie that you are. <laughs> What's your that. reaction to the maps that you've seen? Well, I, I looked at the various options that, that are out here. which should reiterate that at the moment, uh, the city council through the planning commission staff and the, L, the uh, legislative policy division team are having meetings in each of the districts so that people can kind of look at the options. I think that's really an important step. So I don't think there's any option at the moment that's a front runner. Mm -hmm. I do think that looking at what are the considerations, we know that is is essential, legally legally it's required that there be uh, as close to equal population as possible and and the districts are as contiguous and compact as possible. Those are legal considerations. Other factors that can be considered and are preserving the integrity of political subdivisions, preserving the core of an existing district, maintaining communities of interest, and looking at how this affects election precincts. So those are other factors that, that I think are embedded in the in the options that are under consideration. I, I think really it's really important that there be... Uh, that there be equal equal populations yeah. for each of these districts. I think that's that is an important consideration. Um, so you know, looking at them, there are different options. I'm I want to get more information on option four. Yeah. Uh, myself, I think that's that is one that uh, would be worth looking at more carefully. All right, that's very good. As again, we're joined by Sheila Cockrell, who's a political consultant and former member of city council. But we want to speak with you as well during this conversation. Do you feel represented by your city council representative. If not, do you feel that that has anything to do with the district boundary that you vote in? Do you prefer single member districts or are you one who likes the at large model? And uh, where did you get to vote for all the potential candidates on city council for you? What was your factors? What are the things that you're looking at and most interested in as we look at our representation right now? One of the biggest issues that you can have, especially at a local level, is as we've been discussing, I mean, these are the folks who are representing the things that are affecting your day to day life. Uh, Before we take more of a look at the newly proposed districts. I want you to, you said you kind of were interested in uh, that proposal four. What was it specifically about that that drew your interest and what do you think are some of the pros or cons of changes that you've seen on these maps? Well, I think uh, proposal four, one, it has pretty much, an e- the populations are, are pretty close. It's between 90,421 and uh, 91,913 people per district. So that's, that's, uh, that's a, de- it's a decent range. Um, I think also looking at the maps, it has the least impact on pieces of districts that get changed. Mm. Uh, which I think is important in terms of the ca- keeping the core of existing districts in you know in in place. I think again one of the other factors in Detroit that needs that that's a, a kind of wrinkle is that under the charter, each of the districts can elect a citizen advisory council, which is composed of nine people. Now some of the districts have 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 have, have, have um, be started that, others have not. But at some point, if that gets fully engaged and fleshed out, you basically have a city council member 
a city council, then you have like a city, a shadow city council. Mm. If people are elected all by the same population of folks, who you know what 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 is going to be the real dynamic between the advisory council and the elected council? That's something to watch under any of these options going forward. Well, so that is interesting. And you bring up things every time you say shadow council. I know that has people concerned. Is this something you're out there, you're talking to folks that they've brought up with you that has been a concern that they're looking at? Actually, that has not been. Okay. What has been more of an issue that's been raised with me now, again, I've been off of city council since the end of 2009. I follow things carefully, but I am not right. presenting myself as somebody who's you know in the know on uh, on. Every all the dynamics at council, but what I have been, what people have said to me uh, across the the continuum of neighborhoods and you know all those fa- other factors, is that they're less they they don't have as much understanding of the issues that are discussed that the council votes on at a citywide on on a citywide basis, mm-hmm. and they you know want to know what's the way so that we can really understand why you know the points of view of different council members how they're shaped and what they're uh, what they're what they're bringing to the table how much of that is shaped by what's in the interest of the city overall and what is what other positions shaped primarily or only by what's in the interest that they perceive it of their district yeah you know it is an interesting thing also it goes back to this really having an interaction with your representatives the ability to kind of have a transparent view of what's going on so that you're informed when you're able to give your thoughts your insight maybe organize you might not know initially based on that take a moment think about it talk with colleagues get back and make your voice heard. Again, when we think about districts, that's theoretically one of the benefits. If yes. you have a smaller amount of people, yes. you can go specifically uh, to that person. And, and speaking of people who have insights, you out there listening, uh, we suspect that you might have some insights as well, which is why it's a good opportun- opportunity to jump into this conversation. You can give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. Let us know if you feel represented by your city council representative. In fact, since the change from 2012, when we've moved to the district model, do you feel like you're more represented by your council member than you were before? Or did you feel like the older model worked better? And what are you looking for in this redistricting process? What do you think are the important factors? What do you think it would take? What are you looking for in terms of making sure you're represented, represented, you have an opportunity to make your voice heard? You can give us a call, 313-577-1019. And you know that way, Sheila, they can definitely make their voice heard right here on the radio. Sure. There's nothing getting in the way of you. There's no shadowy organizations <laughs> on this one. You just get to call and make your point Absolutely. heard. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's important to hear people's points of view. Yeah. And we'll get to the phones in just a moment. But before I move to that, uh, for you, how big of a deal do you think it is for this redistricting process? Again, it's an opportunity for us to reassess, make sure that our uh, communities of interest are held intact. Uh, what are you looking for most when it comes to a redistricting process? What do you think is most important that we do during a process like this? I think it's equalizing the population representation and creating um, uh, the geography of the districts uh, is, is compact um, and, and as, as contiguous as much as possible. I think that's, that is an important, those are two important factors uh, to take into account with the, with the, 
with the new districts that are going to be put in place. Right. And when it comes to how we factor what we should be considering contiguous, you've said, I definitely understand that as well as population size. Uh, are there any other factors that you think that we should really be paying attention to? Or do you think you want maybe just a more even handed model? What do you think is important? Well, I actually think one of the things that needs to be paid attention to in Detroit across all political levels of government is voter turnout. Yes. Like at the state level, the redistricting relied on creating districts that were built on uh, registered voters. What's really important is who votes in the primaries particularly. And it, to me, that is something that as the new districts, as districts are created, that there be attention paid to, you know, how many people turn out uh, yeah. to vote. Because really, those are the people, and correctly so, if you vote, your voice gets heard. If you don't, you get to deal with the consequences. Right, right. So I think paying attention to, uh, to increasing voter turnout uh, particularly in primaries, is a critical function to make this system really work well. Yeah, particularly particularly in primaries. I mean, any system, if you don't get proper turnout, any system can be gamed. So right. it is excruciatingly important that people get out here and vote. We're going to speak with one of those voters right now, Terry in Detroit. Terry, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Good morning. Good morning, Sheila. Um I just wanted to say that I really do think that representation by district has improved the level of connection between council members and their constituents in the district. And the one specific thing I would point to is the fact that almost every council person, uh, the district folks, have regular public forums in their district with their constituents. And I tell you, I, 20 years ago, that wasn't going on, right? But it happens regularly now where, you know, the, the, the member is, is having a forum to discuss things with their constituents. Yeah, Terry, can I get you, you were saying that you feel like there is better representation right now because of the regular meetings that people are having, their council members are having, uh, that you saw now that you didn't see before, which is something that we've heard about yeah. from people. And uh, Sheila, is that something that you've seen also in, in your work? Yeah, I would say, good, good morning, Terry. Uh, I would, I, I agree that the that council t now spends more, members spend uh, more time interacting with uh, people in a district. That is, I think, absolutely true. And that is a good thing. I mean, people have coffees. They do, you know, meetups and, and, and different organizational headquarters. They go to people's uh, homes. Some of that happened, happened when uh, in, in the at-large system, but not to the degree that it happens now. And that is a positive benefit of the district system. It's also a... a benefit that if the system where there were an at-large system, it could still happen because if you had an at-large system, which is one of the things I had advocated for for a long time, you're elected at large, but you are, you are become the, you have, you have a part, portion of the city that you're responsible for as an at-large council member. So if you divided the city up into nine areas and you had nine at-large council people and had held people accountable for the uh, issues and the needs of that area, that could work too. But that is, that's purely hypothetical. What we have now does provide 
I think, closer contact between elected uh, council members and the residents in their district. An excellent point, Terry, giving us a little bit of the look both before and after and what you've seen, as that's what we're working for here with our democracy, working for every iteration, just getting a little bit better or a lot better if we can make that big jump. But Terry, thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and me, Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Podcast editing by David Lyons. And our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. You can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.